You're listening to the Straight Up Saints Podcast. What's going on, Houdat Nation? Welcome back inside another episode of the Straight Up Saints Podcast. It's your host, Chris Rosvoglu. And if you guys haven't already, make sure to check out Sports Overtime. Me and Nader put out our first episode. We talked about the Saints-Panthers upcoming game, which I'll address in this podcast episode. We also talked about playoff seeding, stuff that I'll also address in this podcast as well. Um, and if you want, we got co- uh, really cool ho- uh, hoodies coming out, excuse me, that we're going to put out on uh, Twitter that you'll be able to see. So we'll probably have those out around New Year's Day. Without further ado, let's talk about the New Orleans Saints. And I tweeted a couple jokes about it on on Twitter, obviously, and you guys were messing around with me. I was joking back and forth. But there's never a dull moment, unfortunately, with this team. And there's never a quiet day on Twitter. And today, this because I'm recording this on Wednesday night, the big news for the Saints is that they put C.J. Gardner-Johnson on the COVID list. And the easy thing for me to do would be going into this podcast episode kind of just report it and be like, all right, he's put on the COVID list. He can miss up to 10 days if he tested positive. If he's a close contact, he could be back in a couple of days. We'll see. But I feel like I would not be doing people justice if I kind of just left it at that. So I think there's more to be talked about here. And the main thing I want to say is, I know we don't know all the facts. We don't know what exactly happened. We know we had a gathering. There was a post on Instagram that everyone saw. And we don't know who was at the gathering because we can't really make out who's in the pictures. And we don't know when, uh, where these people have been. And when you don't know people's whereabouts, that basically means you kind of have to assume the worst, hope for the best, but assume the worst. And for this particular situation, how I feel about it, because I saw a lot of different takes on it. I think, unfortunately, and I'm and I'm a big fan of Gardner Johnson. It was a, a really boneheaded decision on his part, and I know a lot of people are going to say it was his birthday. He needed to celebrate, but unfortunately, this has been a year where everyone's making sacrifices. We all can't do things that we want to do this year because of COVID, and it sucks. There's people who can't celebrate their birthdays, and people who haven't seen family members, and people who lost their jobs because of what's going on. And I'm not going to sit here and basically just criticize Gardner Johnson to the point where I just you know, put this guy on blast. But I think it's worth noting that it was a really short-sighted move. And not only does it affect himself, because if he did test positive, obviously he's dealing with something that's unknown. And and look, would I think that he would be okay in this situation because he's a very healthy guy? Yes, but you never know. And number two, if we're not going to talk about him putting himself in a bad spot, which is obviously the case, he puts his team in a really bad spot because this is a situation where Gardner Johnson is a playmaker, guys. He's a, he's the type of dude with his mentality that he changes the whole secondary. And if he's not there, especially for a playoff game, that's a really big hit for this defense and a big hit for a team that, let's be real, guys, they got Super Bowl aspirations. This is not a, okay, 11-5 and five or 12-4 and four years a good year. We get that. It is a good year. But this Saints team is so much more than that. It's you better hoist the Lombardi or this is going to be looked at as a failed season. And if you don't have Gardner-Johnson for a playoff game, maybe a second playoff game, whatever it might be, that's a big blow to this roster, a big blow to the defense. And to look back and see what it would be, like the reason why he would not play, is incredibly frustrating. And that's why I'm like almost like laughing just because I've reached the point where that this team, you got to like almost emotionally disconnect. Like you can be frustrated, but you can't let it completely crap all over your mood because... We can't control what these players do, and, and and look, Gardner Johnson's been great in his second year, but that was a really dumb decision on his part, and I know a lot of people aren't going to address it because it's easier to just say he went on the COVID list, that's it, but I'm a little disappointed, I'm not going to lie, and it always brings me back to what J.J. Watt said last week, and, and I think the Saints, unfortunately, do this a hell of a lot, and I really wanted to get this off my chest here. J.J. Watt brought up how it doesn't matter what your record is, whether you're really good or you're really bad, 
you kind of owe it to the fan base who invests a lot of time to put out your best product. And the Saints have been putting out their best product, so that's not the issue. It's the respect between the fans and the players. Like, it's not there for the Saints. Because when the Saints lose, remember how the players go out on Twitter. They blame the fans, and they're like, oh, if you weren't with us then, don't be with us next week. And it's like, that's not what they're talking about. Fans are frustrated because the fans have a really high standard for this Saints team because this is a loaded roster with a lot of talent up to uh, from the top to the bottom, and we expect the most out of them. So when something like this happens, it's obviously frustrating. Gardner Johnson has not publicly commented on it, and the Saints have not released, nor do they have to, if it was a positive test or if he was a close contact. They don't have to do neither. Personally, if you're the Saints, I wouldn't say which one it is. Um, but obviously, the more quiet they are, the more you kind of think that he is testing positive because with Jameis, it came out that he was a close contact, but you never know. So we're going to go under the assumption we have no idea if he was a close contact or a positive test. But that doesn't change the fact that it was a really, really irresponsible decision. And it's one that could cost the Saints team. And I tweeted about it and you guys agreed. Don't, you know, the way you look at the playoff picture, because remember, the Saints aren't, right now they're the two seed. Like they need things to go their way to get the one seed. If they're the two seed guys, who's to say the NFL doesn't stick them on Saturday night playing the Cardinals or the Rams or the Bears. And guess who cannot play on Saturday night if he tests positive for COVID, even if he doesn't have any symptoms? C.J. Gardner-Johnson. He could play on Sunday, but then he really wouldn't have any practice time. Either way, if he tests positive, he's not playing next weekend. I can tell you guys that much. So it really, really hurts the team, obviously, if that's what happened. Um, put that to the side for a quick second. I do wish him the best if he tests it positive. I hope he recovers quickly and smoothly and there's no issues there. If it's a close contact thing, I kind of hope he just learns from this lesson and realizes they got things to do right now, and having a party is not one of those things. Having a Super Bowl party, maybe, if it's safe. But having a party for your birthday is not one of those things right now on the agenda. Now, let's talk about the Saints injury report. Uh, move aside from the Garner-Johnson thing. I just wanted to kind of rant on that real quick. The injury report for the Saints is, like, somewhat good and somewhat bad, and it kind of depends on how you want to look at it. So let's go into every corner. Let's go to the did not practice. The two that did not practice, Josh Hill, hand injury, Marcus Williams, ankle injury. Marcus Williams, I don't think he's playing week 17, nor should he. This is a type of player who you sit and you rest for the playoffs. He had that sprained ankle against the Chiefs, which is really frustrating because Marcus was playing fantastic football in the second half of the season, and you hope that he's back for the wild card game if the Saints are playing on wild card weekend. If not, obviously that extra week, that bye week would be huge for a guy like him. Get one more extra week to get comfortable with that ankle and then go out and roll on the field. But I think Marcus Williams will be back for the for the playoffs. I really do. I think he'll be back for wild card weekend. And we'll see from there. Josh Hill, kind of don't know, but he's a tough guy. Um, we'll see. That That's a wait and see what he looks like next week. Um, as for limited, there was three guys. Trey Hendrickson with a neck injury. Latavius Murray with a quad injury. David Onyemata with a knee injury. All three are big. Latavius, Trey, David Onyemata, all three are big. And you can make an argument for all three that they're equally important. Trey is your sack artist. He's the guy who's been great on the D-line throughout this year. David Onyemata is the unsung, the unsung hero of this D-line. What he's able to do in terms of pressure and stopping the run is really great. And the Saints got a bargain deal with him last offseason, and they paid him for what they thought he would be, not what he currently was. And what he currently is now is one of the best defensive tackles in the NFL. He's been great. You hope that both those defensive linemen are ready to go. And Latavius. Latavius has been such an underrated piece for the Saints ever since he got here in 2019. You need him. You obviously need him because he takes the pressure off of Alvin Kamara. He gives you that ground and pound type of back that changes. Um, you can use him inside the numbers. You can use him on short yard situations. And he's gotten better as a receiver, which you always love to see. So, obviously, if you're the Saint, and I mean this, if Latavius and Trey and Onyemata and those boys are not ready to go, sit him for week 17. 
Sit him for week 17. I'm going to talk about that in just a second, about why I feel that way. But sit him if they're not ready. Now, full participants. We got some good news there. Nick Easton from the concussion, full participant. Great news to hear because that is the second time this year that he was concussed. Head injuries are scary. It sounds like he's progressing well, though, so we'd love to see that. Andrews Pete, full participant. You guys don't love to see that. Personally, I like the depth, but here's the deal with Andrews Pete, guys. James Hurst was really good in replacement duty. I don't th- Look, when Pete's healthy, the Saints are going to start Pete. You can say that they should start Hurst, and maybe I will somewhat agree with you a little bit, but they're going to start Pete. So let's not beat around the bush. Pete will start, but it's good to see that he's back from that injury already. He'll probably get injured again. Let's be real. It's a ticking time bomb with him half the time, but it's good to see him full, full participant. But the one guy that really excites me on this list, a full participant, Malcolm Brown. Malcolm in the middle. The defensive tackle that really does a great job against the run and the run game or defensive, the defense against the run game, excuse me, has not been sharp with Malcolm Brown out of the lineup. Get him back in the lineup. You're going to see that change immediately. Um, and if you're the Saints, I think it's, if Brown's ready to go, play him Sunday. If you want to give him that extra week off, give him that extra week off. I think the Saints are in that position where they can do so. So not an awful injury report. Um, I think by next week, it's going to be different. Assuming they don't get hurt on week 17, and that's a big assumption. And who knows how they're going to play that week out. But if this is the same injury report going into next week, I think it would change because Trey, I think, would definitely play. on Yamada would definitely play. And Marcus Williams, in my opinion, with another week of rest, I think he'd be ready to go. As for the Panthers, they got some big news. They announced that Mike Davis is unlikely to play. They announced that Christian McCaffrey will not play. And then they got some other big names on their injury report that haven't participated. Russell Okun, the left tackle. Robbie Anderson, the star wide receiver. Brian Burns, the speedy defensive end. Troy Pride, the rookie cornerback out of Notre Dame. And John Miller, the offensive guard. Those, all those names that I just mentioned, none of them practiced on Wednesday. Um, and the fact that McCaffrey and Davis are not expected to play means that the Panthers are going to be on their third string running back, and they're probably going to be on their third string left tackle, and they're probably going to be on their third string offensive guard. And basically what I'm hinting at here, guys, is the Panthers, a team with only five wins, are going to be severely banged up going into this game. And I think this is an opportunity here for the Saints to do what I hope they're going to do. And that is, you play to win, but you also play to rest your starters at the same time. And what I mean by that is you play your starting lineup, but you do a really good job kind of load managing them throughout the game. Now, Drew Brees in the offense, they got to be out there. I get that. But does Lattimore have to play every series? No. Does Cam Jordan have to play every series? No. Does Demario Davis have to play every series? Hell no. You got to figure out what you got next to him at linebacker. That's a priority to figure out in this game. But I think this is one of those things where you're the Saints, you scoreboard watch. You absolutely scoreboard watch. And for anyone out there who thinks that there is not scoreboard watching, go back to the 2017 season, Saints-Bucks regular season finale. The Saints were scoreboard watching and basically said, we don't need this game, and then they lost at the end. And if you don't believe me, you can go back and look. I'm telling you, that is what happened. Um, it is a fact. So scoreboard watching will be a thing. So with that, we know with that being said, let's get into the playoff scenarios. Let's get into what the Saints need, what the playoff scenario or picture might look like for them, and we'll break it down one by one. So... If the Saints want the one seed, which is still in play, they have a 28% chance of getting the one seed according to NBC Sports. It's kind of like a a numbers or computer prediction that they have, but the computer prediction gives them a 28% chance. Not bad. Not not great, but not bad. Um, Obviously, you have another 72% chance that you don't get it, so a little discouraging. But 28%, you live with the numbers for now. What do the Saints need? Well, first and foremost, they need to beat the Carolina Panthers on Sunday, which they can definitely do if they're playing their starters and they're going for the win. I think that's something that the Saints absolutely can do. But what else do they need? They need the Seahawks to beat the 49ers. Uh, I think that game is in Arizona because the Niners don't have a home right now because of the Santa Clara ban on contact sports due to COVID. So the Seahawks would need to beat the Niners. 
Seahawks and Niners games are always really close, so that one you kind of really don't know. And frankly, last year, the Saints needed the Seahawks to beat the Niners to get a bye week, and that didn't happen. And we looked at the grand scheme of all that, and that changed the whole playoffs because the, the Niners got the bye week, and then they went on to the Super Bowl, and the Saints played on wild card weekend, and the Saints got bounced early. So I, I'm kind of like done expecting Seattle to do New Orleans favors. And even if they were to do the New Orleans that favor, it still wouldn't mean they get the one seed because there's one really, really important thing that needs to happen Sunday in order for the Saints to get that first round by. And that one thing is for the Chicago Bears to upset the Green Bay Packers. And I know a lot of people told me on Twitter the Bears are playing better football and they look like a legitimate team. I don't even know what that means. I mean, they're not that bad that they look like a legitimate team. Like, that that one just cracked me up when I got that response on Twitter. But here's what I tweeted, and I'm going to stand by it. Do I want the Saints to get the one seed? Absolutely. Like, you'd have to be kind of a moron to say you don't want the Saints to get the one seed or maybe, like, a double agent. But one of the two. There's no other option there. But do I expect Mitch Trubisky to lead the Bears to an upset win over Aaron Rodgers and the Green Bay Packers who need to win to clinch the one seed? Absolutely not. I do not expect that to happen. And the reason I say that is Mitch Trubisky is who Mitch Trubisky's always been. And you can look at this little hot streak he's had over the last four games and tell me that, oh, he's improved and he's turned the corner. But how many quarterbacks have done this before where everyone throws them out and says they're done and then they play a little bit after missing some time and all right, they look pretty good against tired defenses. And that's kind of what we've seen from Mitch Trubisky. But even at that level, he's not ridiculously fun to watch. I mean, last week, 265 passing yards, two touchdowns, and a pick against the Jaguars. That pick was horrendous. The following week, 202 passing yards, one touchdown, one pick against the Vikings. He got carried by David Montgomery. All right, the Texans game, three touchdown passes, not bad, but I think they were all in the first half, and then he did nothing in the second half. And I go back to the first start he made after that injury, and it was against the Packers on Sunday Night Football. And what did he do? He had three touchdowns and two picks. And the two picks were really costly, and two of the three touchdowns came in garbage time. And what that tells me, again, is like when the stage is bright and the Bears, the Bears need Trubisky to play like a number two overall pick, he can't do it. And am I going to watch that game and hope that Trubisky plays? Well, of course. Of course I want the Bears to beat the Packers. But I try to look at this in the most realist way possible, and I just don't see how Mitch Trubisky and the Bears will beat the Packers. This is what would need to happen if they're going to do so. They're going to need to get out to a comfortable lead, and they're going to need their defensive line to pin their ears back and get after the quarterback, and maybe Green Bay reaches the point where it's like, all right, you know what? We can't get Rodgers hurt here when the playoffs are next week. We can't do that. And and even then, there is the scenario where the Packers can lose to the Bears, the Seahawks can beat the Niners, and the Saints don't take care of business and get the one seed. So, like, there's, there's still three things that need to fall in your favor for you to get the one seed. And is it possible, like I said, yes, 28% chance, But I'm also thinking to myself, if you're the Saints, you play hard against the Panthers because, hey, 6-0 against the NFC South is quite an accomplishment. That would be really cool to put on the resume. Um, But at the same time, it really isn't worth putting on the resume if it comes with losing guys in a game that you don't really need necessarily because if you don't get the one seed, you're locked to the two or the three seed since the NFC East is married to the four seed because they're so bad. You really don't need to go all out. And so what you do is you play hard, you're going to play hard even with the backups in, so, you know, take that away for a second, but you're going to play to win, obviously, and you're going to scoreboard watch, and you're going to see what's going on in Seattle, in Chicago, what's going on with those games, are they falling in your favor, okay, cool, keep the foot on the gas, if not, you kind of ease up, and you put the backups in, and obviously, you're still trying to win, because the two seed is a better advantage than the three seed, but... 
you also don't want to get your guys hurt. And if the Carolina Panthers sit guys like they're expected to do, and they might sit some big names, like if Robbie Anderson and Russell Okun and Brian Burns don't play, those are three really big names, and it kind of tells you that the Panthers are kicking the can down the road and settling for 2021, then I think the Saints, even with some backups in, can still get the job done because I think the Panthers are just not that good of a team right now. They could maybe next year when they improve, but we don't know that. That's still down the road. So if you're the Saints, scoreboard watch, and you see what's going on, if things are going your way, Pedal to the metal. If not, all right, let's ease up. But you still want that two seed, though. And the reason I say that is if you win your wild card game, you get another home game. That's really big. You're not guaranteed another home game if you get the three seed. If you get the two seed and you take care of business in the wild card game, you are guaranteed to play the divisional round game in New Orleans. That is a huge plus for this team because I'll put it this way. And a lot of people are going to say, well, there's no fans. It doesn't matter. It's not about the fans to me, it's about the weather. And when you go, and let's say Seattle and New Orleans flip, and Seattle gets a two seed, New Orleans gets a three seed. Let's say you go to Seattle and it's pouring. You want to deal with that? I mean, your passing attack's basically just a race now. And against a really bad Seattle secondary, you want your passing game. So playing in New Orleans is imperative. And I don't care what anyone says. The two seed is way more valuable than the three seed. Even without the bye week, it matters. So I still want the Saints to obviously play to win. But at the same time, you need to you know keep your guys' health Uh, in your best interest because this team cannot really afford to go into week 17 and suffer another big injury. They are one more big injury away from being like, all right, it's just not our year. Like, I don't know what else we can do. We keep swapping back and forth. One guy comes in, one guy goes out with injuries. They can't afford another one. So the Saints need to be smart and they need to scoreboard watch and we'll see what happens. Last year, the ball didn't bounce their way. Maybe it bounces their way this year. Personally, I don't think it's going to happen though. I think that the Packers will beat the Bears. But I also think that the Seahawks will beat the Niners and that the Saints will beat the Panthers. And I kind of think you're going to get a playoff format the way it is right now. One, two, three. Who would the Saints face? Well, I think the Saints are either going to face the Rams or the Cardinals. Those are the two teams that I think they're going to face. And I think it really comes down to the seeding. And unfortunately, I really think that the Saints are going to be in a weird scenario where they play the Rams in the first round. That's the way I see it. And a lot of you are like, oh, let's get that revenge on this Rams team. I'm ready for it. And I kind of understand that. And, and we all want to see that. But what, what is that going to look like for the Rams? Do they get Cooper Cup back because he's on the COVID list? I think they would. Is Jared Goff going to play? He's not playing this weekend, but maybe he returns next week. That's a big thing. If you play against a Rams team that gets Cooper Cup back, that gets Jared Goff back, and has the number one rated defense in football, like that is not who you want to face in the first round, frankly. And now you flip to the other side to go to the Cardinals. I know the Cardinals have Kyler Murray. I know they got DeAndre Hopkins, but the Cardinals are kind of banged up right now. They, they are. So for me... If I were to rank it, and I said this on YouTube, and if you guys didn't check it out, you guys can. I'll leave the link in the in the description of the podcast episode. I would rank it as you face the Bears. That's the one that you want if you play on Wild Card Weekend. And after the Bears, then you probably want to play the Cardinals because although Kyler Murray presents mismatches, I just don't think Arizona is skilled enough and well-coached enough to beat the Saints in the playoff game. The Rams, we know they're well-coached enough, and we know they got a defense specifically on the D-line with Aaron Donald that can exploit the Saints' biggest weakness, their guards. So that, for me, is something to watch. And it would be really frustrating if the Saints have to play the Rams on wildcard weekend as the two-seed but the Buccaneers would be the five seed, would play a seven and nine Washington or Dallas team. Like that would just be the epitome of the NFL being asked backwards with everything they do. And I'm not trying to blame the rules here, but unfortunately they're set up in that way where a bad division winner will play the five seed and the five seed almost gets lucky in that regard. And the two seed could play a 10 and six Rams team, which is a pretty good team this year. Like let's, let's just call it what it is. So 
that's the seating for me. I'm going to go Packers 1, Saints 2, Seahawks 3, Washington probably 4, Bucks 5. I'm going to go Cardinals 6, Rams 7, and that will be a really stressful Saturday game, in my opinion, because I think it's going to happen on Saturday. This is just a hunch. It's not a, a known thing. Saints-Rams, maybe revenge, maybe not. Maybe more frustration. Probably bullshit calls that favor Los Angeles. You know the drill around here. Um, but that's how I kind of see the playoffs working out. So before I wrap this up, instead of three keys to victory, which I've kind of done for every game this year, and I will kind of in a way mention that for this one, what I want to do is three things to watch because this is the type of game where, look, it, it's more so how do you look going into the playoffs than how do you look in that one particular game. And I know it might sound the same, but it's not. It's all about building momentum and being a sending team at the right time. So 52-33 to 33 over the Vikings is a really good start. That's a really, really good start for the Saints in terms of ascending. Now, how do you kind of build off that performance? You take a step back, you take a step forward. Um, and by taking a step forward, you don't have to score 50 points. It's how do you look as a whole team, all 53 guys. I think they can look, they can look better. So here's a couple of things I want to see. For starters, how does Drew Brees look throwing the deep ball? It's not about how does the ball look. How does Drew Brees look when he's throwing the deep ball? What I mean by that is, is he kind of short-arming his throws so he can pull his arm down and protect his ribs from a, from a hit? That was something that bothered him against Minnesota. He threw a terrible ball that Marquez Callaway basically broke up and had to play cornerback on that play. He threw a ball to Jared Cook on a blitz where Cook makes a really good catch coming forward to the ball and then takes it for an extra 30 yards. And he threw that kind of short. That ball was a little short. So I want to see, Drew still made some really impressive throws. I went back to the tape, I went through it, Drew made some really good throws in that game. So I am encouraged by how he looks, but I want to see, is Drew going to continue to shield his ribs? And that is something that I definitely want to watch in this Saints-Panthers game. Number two, how does the O-line look? The O-line was dominant against the Minnesota Vikings, but I kind of thought they would be. The Vikings were injured. The Vikings were not a good defense this year. Um, Their linebackers weren't in this game. Their D-line was banged up. And they dominated. Cesar Ruiz was really good, to, really, really good in the run game. You had James Hurst filling in for Pete, who was excellent, and that kind of led to people talking on Twitter, should Pete get benched for Hurst? And it's an interesting debate. It's not going to happen, but it's an interesting debate. Um, and Teron Armstead was just insane. I mean, he was literally blocking dudes and carrying them all the way back to Minnesota. He was that good on Christmas Day. So how does this O-line follow it up? It's got to be two things for me. It's... Can the O-line look dominant when they're playing? But I also don't want them to play the whole game. Like, Armstead, you could play him a half, then sit him. You could play Ramchick a half, then sit him. And you could get your backups in. And then the guards, maybe you leave Ruiz in. Maybe you kind of rotate with Ruiz, Pete, Hurst, and um, and uh, Easton. So there's guys you can move around in there. So uh, I, I think that the Saints have options. Obviously, you kick Hurst out to a tackle spot if you bench Armstead or Ramchek to give them rest. So it's going to be interesting to see what the Saints do there. But I want to see how the O-line looks. Do they continue that ascend? And number three, how does Marshawn Lattimore look against DJ Moore? And the reason I say that is I have been really, really encouraged with what I've seen from uh, Marshawn Lattimore the last two weeks. We are seeing lockdown Lattimore back in effect. And Demario Davis said it, and I will always remember this because it's the truth. The Saints defense goes as Marshawn Lattimore goes. When he's locking up the number one corner, the Saints defense plays well. When he's not locking up the number one corner, the Saints defense is not at their full potential. And obviously that's because you take away the number one read from the quarterback and you basically shut down one side of the field. And Marshawn's done it the last couple weeks. He did it against Tyreek Hill. He did it against Justin Jefferson. And he's been really good in that regard. So how does he play against DJ Moore, a really talented receiver? Or Robbie Anderson, if he's matched up with him and he does play on Sunday, although his status is a little bit in doubt at the moment, how does he look there? That's going to be something to monitor. And I'll throw in a little extra bone for you guys as well. 
How do the linebackers next to Demario Davis look? Do they go with Anzalone? Do they get Zach Bond in there a little bit? This is really interesting. Quan Alexander's injury cannot be under uh, understated, guys. It's a huge loss for this team. His speed, his versatility, his ability to play in pass coverage, losing Quan Alexander hurts. That's why the Saints traded for him. They thought he would be that missing piece for this defense, and he proved to be the missing piece for this defense. Well, now he's out for the year. And how does Anzalone and Zach Bond play in this absence. And Anzalone for me is the guy I'm looking at because if you're Alex, you have a chance here to play really well for a three or four game stretch and make yourself some good money on the open market with another team. It won't be the Saints, but with another team. If you can't do that, then you're probably looking at you being a backup somewhere else or a backup with New Orleans, but nonetheless, a backup. So I think this is a really important chance for Anzalone. And we've seen this year, Trey Hendrickson has made himself a lot of money. Marcus Williams has made himself a lot of money. Alvin Kamara made himself a lot of money before the season started. So in a contract year, you always have that opportunity. And it hasn't been there for Anzalone, but there's still time left on the clock. And I'm really interested to see how number 47 plays for the Saints in, I guess, I'm not going to say this new role, but back into the starting lineup. I want to see what he does in that regard. So those are four things that I'm interested in seeing for the Saints game against the Panthers this weekend. It's obviously going to be stressful. I'll have you guys up to the minute with everything going on. I'll have updates on the Saints games, the Packers game, and the Seahawks game on Twitter. I'll kind of keep you a little score update if you guys aren't checking. I'll have all three games on. Um, it should be fun to see what happens on Sunday. It's going to be a thrilling ride. I am hoping for the best. I am expecting the worst because that's the way you got to go into Saints games because if you don't do that, then you're going to be heartbroken, and we don't want people heartbroken on the weekend. But anyway, guys, that's going to do it for this edition of Straight Up Saints. If you haven't already, make sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. Get ready for an exciting weekend of football, which will determine if the Saints are playing next week on Wild Card Weekend or if they get the week off and play in the divisional round, which would mean you're one win away from the NFC Championship. I don't want to get your hopes up. Sorry I did that, but I might have just done that. But anyway, guys, thanks for listening. Enjoy the rest of your week. Enjoy your New Year's Eve and New Year's Day. Be safe. Be responsible. Hopefully 2021 is better than 2020. Um, But I'll talk to you guys soon, and hopefully next time I talk to you, we're talking about the Saints being the number one seed, but we'll see what happens.